Well, this morning, we'll be starting a new study. New study in the Gospel of John. A new study in the Gospel of John. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn there with me. And a way to uh, introduce this study, I want to start at the end of John. So turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And you'll see why I'm starting here in the last two verses. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and I'll start reading at verse number 24 down through 31. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Here, as I read God's word. Now, Thomas, this is after Jesus has appeared to the twelve after his, after his resurrection. And here, John writes, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important question that could be asked. It's the most important question that you need to answer. Each one of us individually need to uh, have a, 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 a conclusion that we come to of who Jesus is. And, and the conclusion that you come to have eternal consequences. Either you believe that 
he is who he says he is as as given to us in the old testament or and new testament or you don't believe it listen to c.s lewis and what he wrote in his book his classic book mere christianity perhaps you've heard this before c.s lewis says this quote talking about christ a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell you must take your choice either this was and is the son of god or else a madman or something worse you can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him lord and god but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us end quote either jesus is a liar a lunatic or lord there is no middle ground beloved there's no middle ground you must make a choice and that choice has eternal consequences i can't say that forcefully enough we're talking about jesus the gospel of john is about jesus christ a real person the god man as we go through this gospel you'll see and as we have read here john had a distinct purpose for writing his gospel not to give you information but that you may believe in his name listen to packer quoting schaefer on the danger of liberal theology in the church Uh, uh, here this is J.I. Packer he said talking about liberal theology the he calls it the de-supernaturalizing uh, acid talking about the destructive effect of liberal theology on the faith in older Protestant church family listen to what he said he said these acids talking about liberal theology which dissolved away the truth of the Trinity, Jesus' personal divinity, virgin birth, miracles, bodily resurrection, and personal return, the atonement, and the entire economy of sovereign grace. He said that these are the things that this liberal theology has dissolved away. And he said, were he said what what was applied to the churches by theologians and pastors in the belief that altering the faith in this way would turn into a new source of strength and influence. 
in an increasingly secular society. So these pastors and theologians taught, thought, uh, they, they set out to, to, to change the church and what the, the, the believers believe in order to reach a secular society. Pragmatic, uh, pragmatism. He goes on, he says, so they presented this liberal theology. He said they presented it as a supernatural advance, a, re a refining of religion and a, a salutary refocusing of Jesus as the model man, <laughs> as the archetype good Samaritan, the, as the, um, the apostle and embodiment of God's boundless love. I'm always talking about God's love, Jesus' love, the supreme teacher of selfless service, that he's a, an example for us to follow. And the, found, uh, the fountainhead of inspiration for all who were raised the moral tone of society and generate greater goodwill in the world around us. This sounds like a lot of the movements, a lot of the movements that even couch themselves under Christianity. But Schaefer and, and Packer said that if you listen carefully, you don't hear anything about the Trinity of Jesus, the, the divinity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the miracles, the bodily resurrection, the personal atonement, uh, the, the personal return, the atonement, the sovereign. You don't hear anything in these movements about what Christ has accomplished and, and what that work that he has accomplished is doing in the individuals. Jesus is love. Jesus wants us to love each other. Jesus wants us to treat each other uh, and, 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 and in a way that uh, is similar to the goodness of the world around us. Beloved, it's important. I'll, I read these two statements to show that it's important that we know who Jesus is. Because if we don't, we're going to either live a life of ignorance or we're going to fall for what the world gives us and present to us as what it means to be a Christian. Who is Jesus? Does the weight of the glory of Jesus Christ. Is it evident in your life? Is it evident in the church? Is it evident in sovereign grace? What difference does knowing Jesus Christ make in your life? Does knowing the truth about him, does it change you? Does it empower you? And does it cause you to have Christ on your tongue uh, at all times? Does it cause you to walk in the truth? 
Peter said in 2 Peter 1 and 3, he said, we, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge, beloved. You don't just get it. He said, we have everything, 2 Peter 1 and 3, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, of Jesus Christ. You're not living the way that God wants you to live if you're not growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can't wait to get this, this, this sermon series started. This is not even in my notes. Beloved, you should be fired up if you're a believer about Jesus Christ, that we're getting ready to just focus on a gospel that is all about him. Let's get to the gospel of John. This wonderful book. Let's talk about the background. Who, who is the author? Who is the author? You'll see that in your outline. I got four points in my outline. We're going to talk about the background, John's portrait of Jesus. You know, we're going to look at the themes and keywords, and then we're going to look at why study this gospel. Starting with the background, who is the author? The gospel of John, if you've read it, does not, you notice that it does not explicitly specify who wrote it. Though the gospel doesn't give us the name, the author's name, there, there is eternal, uh, internal, I should say, internal evidence that points to one who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved as being the author of the gospel. Look down at uh, chapter 21, chapter 21, verse 20. And, and notice here, uh, it says here, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the Lord's Supper, or uh, during the Supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now look down at verse number 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. Who, who is it? The, the one who, whom Jesus loved, verse 24 says, this is, the this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, talking about this gospel, and who has written these things, uh, and we know that his testimony is true. This disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who wrote the gospel of John. And who is this? I, I don't want to go into talk, you know, going through the con connecting the dots about how this is John. This is the apostle John. I'm just going to tell you up front. The, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved is the apostle John. John. The apostle John never uses his name in this gospel. And we'll talk about why that is so here in a few minutes. 
But on every occasion throughout this gospel, the, the John refers to himself as the one who whom Jesus loved. You see that in John chapter 13, verse 23, John 19, verse 26, uh, chapter 20, verse 2, chapter 21, verses 7 and 20. So the author is John. It's been widely accepted that John is the author. This John, the Apostle John, is the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and a member of Jesus' inner circle. And John was, of course, one of the apostles. And it's important to note this because there is another John in John's gospel. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse number 6. And we'll read here. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the author, the apostle John. This is John the Baptist. All right. So. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not write this book. John the Apostle includes John the Baptist and his witness about Jesus in his book, uh, in this gospel. And so what so you might ask the question, why does John choose to describe himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? So when John referred to himself, as the disciple whom Jesus loved, he he was not seeking a way to exalt himself. That's not why John refers to himself in this way. He's not seeking to exalt himself over the the other disciples. John was instead seeking to exalt the love of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ. He he is communicating to us. The, the special relationship that he personally felt he enjoyed with Christ. And what, why would that be so? Possibly because, remember, John and James were called the sons of thunder. And it was John and James who at one time wanted to call down fire from heaven <laughs> to, uh, you know, basically fire from heaven to to take out the enemies of Jesus. And, and, and this, this is the, perhaps the, the John realizing the, the great mercy that God had upon him in Jesus Christ to the point that he wants to do nothing but emphasize what Christ has done for him. So like Paul, who says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's life was all about Christ. And perhaps this is what John is doing. John is helping us to see, I don't want to put my name in this book and make it about me. He doesn't even mention James, neither. He wants to make it all about Jesus Christ. So that's the internal evidence for John being the author. What about external evidence? 
Well, uh, from history, history records that Polycarp, uh, the disciple, this is important to know, Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. And Polycarp talked to young Irenaeus, a student of Polycarp. Polycarp was a, uh, a, a close associate, a disciple of the Apostle John, and Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. Now listen, uh, uh, Polycarp uh, said in one of his works, uh, I think it's against heresies, he said this, he talked about how Polycarp talked to him about John's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And he also said that it was John. He said that Polycarp said that John wrote the gospel of John. This is from Polycarp, who knew John personally. And Polycarp passed down to Irenaeus that John wrote this gospel. So that as far as external evidence, uh, we understand this is early. This is this is uh, early uh, after uh, uh, not early because John wrote this gospel at least 60 years after Jesus's resurrection. OK, so Polycarp and Irenaeus help us to understand that John and the early church accepted that John, the apostle, is the writer of this gospel. You may say that that's simple to understand, but it's being attacked by liberal theologies, uh, theologians today, that John really wasn't the gospel. Somebody else wrote it. So we know that John is the gospel. What, when was it written? This gospel, and there's been many dates given. Uh, it says, uh, 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 one says that it was written around 65 to 90 AD. And again, John is writing 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. The place in which the Gospel of John was written was in Ephesus. And, and, and many scholars conclude that the Gospel of John was the last Gospel written. That it was the last Gospel written. And, 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 and this is important because during this time, that John wrote this gospel, the, the truth of Jesus' divinity, uh, the truth of his deity was under attack. And this is one of the reasons for John writing his gospel. So why was it written? To defend it against the attack of those who sought to distort and to deny the, the, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And John clearly states to us why he wrote his gospel. We just read it in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I'll read it again. This is John's purpose statement for this gospel. He says, John 20 and 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There were many other things that Jesus had done that are not written. He said, but these, are written. There was a purpose for John writing the events of Jesus 
recording the events of Jesus in this gospel. He says, but these are written so that purpose you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why John wrote the gospel, this gospel. And it's, 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 it's noteworthy that in verse 31, uh, you may believe, talks about the initial uh, act of, of believing or, or, or whenever you come to believe so that you, you may come to a point that you, may, that you believe. This is why John wrote this. God. This gospel is e evangelistic. But it's not only evangelistic. It's also for believers because he goes on. He says uh, uh, so that you may believe at some point you may come to believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the God. And that by believing that once you come to believe that you continue on believing. So John's goal is that those who don't believe will believe and that those who do believe do believe that they will continue believing. This is why John wrote his gospel. To bring about initial faith in Christ and to strengthen the faith of those who believe in him. John wrote this gospel to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, to help them to understand. John's audience is Jewish and Gentile. He wrote to help them to understand the, what, what, it, what it means that Christ was crucified. His goal is to lead men and women to trust them, to strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one whom God sent. Again, the audience is Jews dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and Gentiles. And it's evangelistic and it strengthens one's faith. In this gospel, John portrays Jesus as the Son of God. The, the, the Son of God. This, this is, these are some of the portraits of, of John. Uh, portrayal of Jesus. Jesus in John's gospel is portrayed as the son of God, the one who came down from heaven and dwelt among us. <laughs> Read that in chapter one. The one who unveils the, the, uh, his divine glory, uh, the, the divine glory of the one and true God. And, G and John gives us direct statements and claims from Jesus himself about his divinity turn to john chapter five i got a lot of them here but i'll just read read uh one and two for you john chapter five verses 16 through 18 uh, as you are 16 through 17 it says and this was why the jews uh uh was was persecuting jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath they had an issue with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them in verse 17. My father is working until now and I am working. And what does this imply? That the work that the father is doing is the same work that Jesus is doing. Why? Because Jesus is God. 
Jesus is the, the son of God. Turn to chapter 8 of John, chapter 8, verse 58. And there is no clear statement about Jesus' divinity than here because of the response of the Jews to this statement. They, know, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We know that that is a, a statement that Jesus is God. I am. He's 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 I, he's the great I am. Why? Why do we know that? What the response is in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus said Jesus made this statement that he is i am before abraham was i am remember in john chapter one in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god jesus was there in the beginning because he was the creator the creator who is god So not only does John make statements about the claim of Jesus' claim of, of his divinity, we also see in, in John's gospel that, you know, another aspect of Jesus' divinity is his omniscience. In John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verses 23 through, through 25, John writes this. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that we're going to get, at, these are two of the key words in John, in the Gospel of John, believe in signs. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Meaning he knew them intimately. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew them. He knew because he knew all people. He didn't know about them. He knew them. Remember Psalm 139. Talking about God's intimate knowledge. Of us. Uh, David talked about God's intimate knowledge of him. And Jesus here reveals that he knows. He has that same intimate knowledge of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Verse 25, and no needs uh, and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. Verse 25. So we see portrayals of Jesus as the Son of God, as as divine, as one who is uh, the, the 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 promised. Messiah. And, and so by doing this, John is, is showing us that the early church didn't invent the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus himself making statements we'll see in the Gospel of John. We find in the Gospel of John seven titles 
that are derived from the Old Testament. And in this gospel, John, uh, Jesus is called the Word, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the Son of God. And, and, and what John does by including these titles from the Old Testament, first of all, the audience to which he was writing was familiar with the Old Testament. And guess what, beloved? We're going to have to be familiar, just like when we went through Hebrews. We need to be familiar with the Old Testament in order to get John's full understanding of Jesus Christ. John sees Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament, and his gospel is full of the Old Testament. Jesus is the is God's long-promised Savior King, the God of Abraham, John 8 and 58. Jesus is the one who fulfills all the Old Testament hopes and promises and inaugurates the long-awaited new age or kingdom of God. So not only does John portray Jesus as divine, he also portrays Jesus as, uh, as being human. He depicts the humanity of Jesus in his gospel. And we, we, we read in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became, y'all know it, flesh. What does John mean by that? Jesus became a man. He was the incarnate one. And, and the word became flesh and dwelt, he didn't hide himself. He and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, John says, glory as of the one son, the, as, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God, the son had taken human form in the person of Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse, a further glimpse of Jesus's humanity in John. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Remember, Jesus meets the woman at, the, at the, the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. The reason he stops at Jacob's well, according to John 4 and 11, is because he was weary. He was tired. Remember, he asked the woman, the Samaritan woman, to give him something to drink. Jesus expressing or we're getting a, we get a glimpse of Jesus's humanity. Uh, in 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 uh, John chapter eleven, after the death of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven and thirty five says Jesus wept because Lazarus died. Jesus again showing his human emotions. He was moved to grief over John's death. Even Pilate recognized Jesus as a man. He wasn't a ghost. Pilate says this, John 19, verse 5, he said to the crowd, behold the man. Jesus was a man like you and I, and yet God. John makes this point in his gospel that Jesus is the God-man. In John 19, verse 28, Jesus said he was thirsty. 
and John chapter 19, verse 35, all the way up to his death and his resurrection, we, we see that Jesus is a man. When Jesus died upon the cross, it is said that a soldier pierced Jesus in his side. Why? Because he had a, a body. He was a man. He had a body. He pierced Jesus in his side with his spear and blood and water came out showing what? That he had died. Jesus was a man. He eats, he drinks, he experiences fatigue, he sheds his blood, he dies like other humans. So John shows us this in his gospel. What are some of the themes and key words in the Gospel of John? Well, the primary word or theme in the Gospel of John is believe. Believe. Believe is a key word that is used by John 98 times in 85 verses. John uses believe or or some some form of the word. 98 times in his gospel. And remember, this is John's purpose for writing according to John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe. This is John's emphasis. This is his his focus is that we may believe in the one he presents to us as the God man. This, this means that personal belief is important. Again, you there is no neutral, no neutral point or no, no neutral position that you can take with Jesus Christ. Either you're going to accept him for who he is and place faith in him, or you're going to reject him. That's John's goal is that you may believe. That's the importance. You can come to church. You can pay your tithes. You can worship. You can pray. And yet not believe in Jesus as he is revealed in the scripture. That's possible. You learn that from Hebrews, apostates who attend churches. They look like Christians, but in the end, they turn away from him. So John's goal is to get people to initially believe and to continue to believe. Another key word in John's gospel is sign. Signs is another important word. Signs that we find in Scripture are meant to convey information to us that they they point us. They 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 convey information to us and point us beyond what what they're talking about. In John's Gospel, signs point beyond. The miracles that that Jesus does, for instance, you take the uh, Jesus feeding the the five thousand. The what what John is pointing to is not the feeding itself, but the one who did the feeding. Who is one? Who is this this man who can feed five thousand people with some fish and barley loaves? He got to be God. So the signs, uh, when Jesus turned the water into wine, that's the first sign that Jesus does. 
what is what is that what does that point to? Not that Jesus wanted to get them drunk. Jesus wanted them to see him for who he is, that he's God. That's why he did those signs. And so signs, they authenticate who Jesus is. They reveal his glory and they challenge those who read. You read of those signs. John is challenging you to believe in him. This is why John give us those signs in his gospel. And like I said, the first sign is John chapter 2, verse 11, wedding in Canaan. And there's, there are seven signs in John's gospel. The changing of water into wine in chapter 2, the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4, the healing of the lame man in chapter 5, the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, the walking on the water in chapter 6, the healing of the blind man in chapter 9, the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. Jesus did many signs and miracles, but John said that he only selected a few to reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. And it's essential that we point out also that the supreme sign that John gives us in his gospel is Jesus' resurrection. That's the supreme sign that Jesus is who he said he is when God raised him from the dead. There are also seven I am statements. There are seven signs and seven I am statements in John. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8 and 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 10 and 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. John 10, 11, and 14, I am the good shepherd. John 11 and 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So uh, the, the, uh, the fact that Jesus reveals himself as, uh, as I am is also uh, one of the key emphasis that John is making in his gospel. It's one of the, I am is one of the, the key phrases in John's gospel. So why we why should we study this gospel? Because it's about Jesus. <laughs> uh, simple. I can just kind of confine it all, and just that statement right there. Why do we need Why do we need to study the gospel of John? Because it's about Jesus Christ. There there, there is no other reason other than we get a picture a unique picture of Jesus Christ uh, so that it will, if you are an unbeliever here or if you're an unbeliever that are watching us on the internet, on YouTube, Facebook, the purpose of John's gospel, if you're an unbeliever, is that you would believe. That's the purpose of it. And I hope you stick with us all the way to the end. And I pray for your salvation, that God would save you and enable you to see Christ for who. And I'm not talking about just to know some facts about him, but to truly see him and with the eyes of your heart to the point that you are moved to place your trust and faith in him. And believe all the claims that that the, the word of God gives us 
uh, concerning him and to be moved to obedience for the glory of God. I pray that for you, if you don't believe. As we go through this gospel and I pray, church, that you are praying as well, not soaking up information. But as we go and we see the glory of Jesus Christ, pray that God would open the heart of those who don't know him. Pray with me in that as we go through this gospel. Amen. So so John presents a unique picture of Jesus. To, to lead to initial faith. That's why John, why, this is why we should study this gospel. And also for us who are believers, we're not left out of this, as I mentioned in the beginning. John's gospel is given to us as well to deepen our faith and the, the intimacy in which we have with our Savior and our Lord to mature us in the faith. That's his goal. And John writes this. He said those who are believers who who continue to believe and, and go on believing that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah and Savior. Jesus, uh, John says of him that he will have life in his name, eternal life. John, uh, what this, the, uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is why we read the gospel so that we 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 will we will have life in his name. We know that we know we have life in him because of who he is. We can be confident in his saving work because he is God. He is unlike any other man because he is the God man. According to John chapter 15, verses one through 11, those who who believe in Christ, who continue to believe in Christ. John says this. This is another reason why we should study. He says this. He said they will bear much fruit. You want to bear fruit? Get to know your Savior and your Lord and the union you have with him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And John closes. Why, why study it? <laughs> John closes his, out his gospel. We just read it uh, uh, in, 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 in John chapter 20, verse 28. He closes out his gospel with Thomas's statement. Thomas, who said that he would not believe unless he put his finger in the, the, the marks that the nails left. He wouldn't believe unless he touched and placed his hand in his side. And remember, Jesus came to it. This is our, this is Jesus. Jesus wants us to, that's country. He wants us, that's bad, that's bad English. Don't hold me for that. Jesus wants us to know him. All we need to do is look at how uh, John closes out his gospel with Thomas, uh, Jesus and Thomas. The interaction, remember, in, in, in John 20 and 24, it said, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark, in the, in the mark of the nails and place my hand in the side, I would never believe. 
You think Jesus gave up on Thomas? No, he didn't. This is our Lord. This is who we're reading about. He wants us to know him. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. Jesus came in. Jesus appeared, just appeared. Jesus came and, and came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he turned to Thomas. This is our Lord. He turned to Thomas. And said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your put out your hand and place it in my side. Do, uh, do not disbelieve, but believe this is this is John's goal because it is Jesus' goal that you believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God, that's when we finish. We should be we should cry out with Thomas, my Lord, my God. My Lord, my God, this should be our confession. This should be the banner under which we live our lives. That Jesus is. Not the Lord, he is my Lord, my God. And we, to do that, we're going to have to search the scriptures. We're going to have to read. Uh, John compels us to, to, to search the scriptures and learn about Christ. John 5, 39 through 40. Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus said in it is these that testify about me. This is why we should study the gospel of John. Because not only does the gospel of John testify about Jesus Christ, all of the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, testify about Christ. Verse 40, he said, but you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. They didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ that was standing right before them. And so in conclusion, as we, we start this study, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he is, if he's both Lord and God, he is. If he's the one who is who knows us intimately, if he is the one who is able to do miraculous things like heal a paralytic man, like feed 5,000 people, men and women, boys and girls. Uh, there's many more that he, he fed. If he can walk on the water, if Jesus can turn water into wine, these things should build our confidence in him as we live our everyday lives. If Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe that it should have an impact on the way you live your life. It should have an impact on the way you live. It should have an impact on the way you pray. It should impact the way you worship God. Jesus, who he is, if he is the foundation, he is the, if he is the one foundation of your life, who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ has done will impact everything else in your life.
if you believe it, if you trust him, if you have placed faith in him, if he is your Lord and Savior, if he is your treasure, if he is the one who is your bread and the water in which you you drink spiritually, you will bear fruit in studying this gospel. No, this is what better way to start the new year. Amen. What better way to start the new year than starting it with studying about Jesus Christ that will lead us to not only know that we have eternal life, but that we may bear fruit for him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for bringing us to this point of this year. We've, we're already in February. And Father, I pray that as we uh, continue through this year, that you will be with us in our study of John to open our hearts and our minds to the truth about who he is. And Father, just not only open our understanding so that we may have knowledge, true knowledge of him, but enable by your Holy Spirit and, 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 and through the word in which we read and, and enable us to, to continue to believe and to grow in, in, a, in, in our knowledge of who Christ is, that we may be like Job who said, uh, after coming into uh, uh, an, an intimate understanding of, of you that, that he said, I've heard of thee by hearing, but now my eyes see. Job was saying that there was something that he knew of God, but now he knew God intimately. He had knowledge of God, but now he has intimate knowledge of God. And I pray that that be true for us, oh God, that through your Holy Spirit, that you would make your word come alive to us in our hearts so that we can leave and be like those who was on the, the road that said that their hearts were burning in them as they heard the truth about Christ explained to them. May our hearts burn Sunday after Sunday as we study this truth, this, the truth of this gospel. And again, Father, we need you to open our understanding each Sunday. Each Sunday, we need you to open our understanding so that we may see. We can't do it on our own. We can't come to the truth of Christ on our own. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, be with us in this study. And as I had said earlier, not only be with us who believe, but, Father, I pray that you would do a miraculous work. The, a miraculous work just as you turn water into wine, just as you fed 5,000 people. Father, I pray that you would do a miraculous work in the heart of those who do not believe. That their hearts will be changed, that the stony heart would be taken out and they will be given a heart of flesh, 
a heart that is sensitive to God, that is sensitive to Christ, a heart that that loves you and, and loves Christ and submits to the Holy Spirit and, and loves your word. Get them a new heart so that they can worship Christ with us. And so when we end that we we and those who are listening, who are unbelievers, we can all worship Jesus Christ together. Because that is the goal. That is the aim. Is that we all may bow the knee and worship Jesus the Christ. Help these things to be so, Father, according to your will. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.